Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Okay guys, we are continuing our survey of the five points of Calvinism, aka the doctrines of grace, aka reformed soteriology, that is the way that God saves us. Now, just a quick recap on last week's episode. We're studying election, right? That most difficult of doctrines, that most unpalatable to many people of doctrines, and we're trying to understand how it works. Election says, if you are a Christian, it's because God has chosen you. He has opened your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and enabled you to want to put your trust in Jesus. Let me put it another way. God opened your eyes to reality, to a reality that you didn't see before, the reality of your sin, of your need to be saved, of your inability to save yourself, and of Jesus as the Savior that you need. Those are the realities that election introduces us to. Now, without God doing that, you will never actually be seriously interested in Jesus Christ. You you just won't. And I say seriously interested because, you know, there are a lot of people with a passing interest in Jesus Christ. Lots of people who have heard about the claims of Jesus and say to themselves, hmm, that's quite interesting. Perhaps I should think about it. But then they don't, (laughs) right? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about someone that you know very well, who someone who you may even love deeply, that you have told about Jesus. You have shared the gospel with them. We're talking a friend, a spouse, maybe, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, your family member, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, whatever. Just think about that person for a second, okay? And and maybe they've even been to church with you before. Maybe they've been to church with you a whole bunch of times before. And so you know for sure that they have heard the gospel. But here's the thing. They've heard the gospel, yes, but they don't do anything about it. They just sort of, you know, receive it for information. They don't show any kind of curiosity. They don't show any kind of urgency. They've been told, you're a sinner. You need to be saved. You're unable to save yourself. And Jesus is the Savior that you need. And they still do virtually nothing about it. They don't dispute it. You know, they don't argue against it. They just kind of go, eh. Think about how strange that is. How illogical it is, really, if you think about it. Let's, okay, let's say you go to the doctor. The doctor checks you out and says, listen, you have a terminal disease. I have discovered it through the tests I've run. I know uh, you maybe don't feel it right now, but trust me, you have this disease. It is a silent killer. You've got it. And I can't tell you exactly when it's going to kill you, but I promise you that it will. It has a 100% fatality rate. But there's good news. Here's the good news. 
there is a cure for this disease, and I just happen to have the prescription for it. And so he gives you the script, right? You say, oh, thank you very much, doctor. And you walk out the door and you put the script in your pocket and you go straight home. You don't get it filled. Maybe you take it out of your pocket and you throw it on your bookshelf or countertop or I don't know, put it, stick it to your fridge or something, but you don't even really look at it anymore. Uh, you just leave it somewhere. And and maybe you think every once in a while when you're reminded of this terminal disease that you have, oh yeah, I should, I should do something with that prescription. But you don't. <laughs> you don't actually do anything with it. You've got this ticking time bomb inside of you, but you don't try to diffuse it in any way. Because really, what's happening is, is you're not taking it seriously. The reality of the seriousness of the situation has not sunken into you. Well, here's the deal, guys. When it comes to spiritual things, the doctrine of election says the reality of the gospel can only sink into any of us if God opens our eyes to the truth. And what that means for any of you who are believers that are listening and love some unbeliever in your life, you need to pray for them. You need to pray that God will do just that, that he will open their eyes to the truth. Of course, you keep sharing the gospel whenever you can, but you also pray that God somehow will let them see the truth. Okay, now, I said that I was going to try to deal with some objections to this teaching uh, in this podcast, and I am going to do that today, and I'm going to do it right now. People protest. They protest to this doctrine. I have protested to this doctrine as well. And so we need to deal with these objections. And the first one is this. If election is true, if God chooses who he's going to save and who he's not going to save, then why doesn't God choose everyone? I mean, what is wrong with him? Is he up there with some kind of dartboard or a roulette wheel or something like that? And, and, and why doesn't he just choose everybody? And the answer is, you know what? I don't know why God doesn't save everyone. But I do know this. And this is important, okay? Just because God says the reasons for his choices are not in us, that is, in any quality that we have that makes him decide to rescue us or, or rescue some people and not all people, just because God says that the reasons for his choices are not in us, that doesn't mean he has no good and just reasons for what he does and what he doesn't do. You remember the you remember the place it's at the end of the Gospel of John. Peter is being told by Jesus. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead, okay? And he says to Jesus, or, or sorry, Jesus says to Peter um, that Peter is going to die for his faith. You know, he's going to be crucified and he's going to be put to death for his faith. And Peter listens to this, and then he sees the Apostle John walking by, and he says, Hey, what's going to happen to him, Lord? What about him? And Jesus says, basically, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's the point. God only tells you about yourself. God only tells you 
your story. And if you believe, it's because you were chosen, because God opened your heart, and no other reason beyond that. And you may say, what about everybody else? And Jesus' answer to you is, what is that to you? Follow him. See, he has his reasons. I don't know what they are, but there's no particular reason not to believe that they're fair and just. You might think that's unfair. And and if you think about it, you're right. It is in a sense, but not in the way that you think it is. (laughs) Okay. Like, remember, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that we are wicked, wicked sinners who rebelled against our creator and we plunged the universe into chaos and decay because we wanted to be the center of the universe instead of God. That's what the Bible says. Now, what would be fair? What would be a fair response from God to that truth? Well, fair would be that God judge every single human being that ever lived, judge them as guilty, and sentence them to everlasting punishment. That's what would be fair. But instead, at incredible cost to himself, and friends, here's the thing, it's a cost that we cannot even fathom. But at incredible cost to himself, he rescued his chosen ones. And so you're right, it's it's not fair. It's called mercy. It's called grace. See, look, the doctrine of election, it does create problems. I, I don't want to minimize that at all. Of course it creates problems, I know. But not believing in the doctrine of creation or of election actually creates bigger problems. R.C. Sproul was once teaching election to a group of young college students. And one of these students had a really major problem with it. And so Spruill said, okay, now listen, I agree. There are huge problems that go along with believing the doctrine of election, but there are even huger and greater problems if you deny it. Those are your only two options. So what would you like? Huge problems or huger problems? That's all you have. And of course, this student was a little frustrated. She's like, what are you talking about? And he says, all right. Now, she had a roommate who did not believe in Christianity. And so Spruill said to her, he said, why are you a Christian and your roommate is not? And she answered, well, because I accepted Christ and my roommate didn't. And he said, right. Now, why did you accept Christ and your roommate didn't? She said, well, because I repented of my sins and my roommate wouldn't. He said, right. But why did you repent? And she wouldn't. And she said, well, I guess because I was willing to admit that I was a sinner and she didn't want to. And he said, right. But why were you willing to admit that you were a sinner and she wasn't willing? And he went on and on until finally he said, do you see what I'm getting at? If you believe the only difference between you and your roommate, you and any non-believer, is in God's grace... That's the only difference, that God has opened your heart by the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't opened your roommate's heart, at least not yet. If that's the only difference, then here's the thing. You don't have any basis on which to disdain her. See, Sproul's point is that we need a faith 
we need a religion that undercuts the human tendency to divide. To divide the world between the ins and the outs, the good and the evil, the right and the wrong, the acceptable and the unacceptable. See, the world is... It's just full of division. It always has been. And it, and it seems to be getting worse all the time, right? People are getting more and more polarized over all kinds of things. And believe it or not, the doctrine of election undermines that tendency to divide. Because you don't have any basis on which to look down on others or feel superior to others in any way. You don't have any ground for saying... Hey, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you living the right way? Why don't you believe the right way? None at all, because there's nothing different. There's nothing better in a believer at all. And, and by the way, even if you don't believe in the doctrine of election, you still have the trouble of wondering why God doesn't save everyone. And you might say, and this is actually often what people do say, well, it's because God wants us to have free choice. He wants us to have free will. But think about it. Why is freedom of choice so sacrosanct? You know, I mean, I like to honor my child's free will, but if they decide to run out into traffic, I will happily violate it in order to save their life. Why couldn't God just insult our free will for a moment in order to save us for eternity? See, we live in an age where individual autonomy is praised as the ultimate right. It's the most important thing to us. But, but why? Who said that it should be the most important thing to us? You know, that kind of thinking comes from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, not from the Bible. Let me give you another objection. If everything is fixed and certain... Why pray or evangelize at all? And this, this objection is often used against Reformed believers. They say, people say, you know, you don't evangelize. And you know why you don't evangelize? Because of your doctrine of election. You don't think it's necessary because, hey, everybody's predestined anyway, so God's going to do what he's going to do what he's going to do. Well, let me say a couple things about that. First of all, you know, if God is not in control of everything— then really, we should be afraid to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Think about this, okay? It would mean that all our actions, no matter how small, would have tremendous consequences. And what if we make the wrong decision and screw things up? It would mean absolute disaster. Listen, I, for one, am very glad that there's a God who is working even even my poor decisions and actions out for his glory and my good. He's working them out too. But on top of that, listen, God calls us to pray and evangelize because he wants us, he invites us to participate, to share in what he's doing in the world. You know, it's probably a lot easier for a dad to bake a cake by himself than to have his six-year-old do it with him, right? It's more efficient. Maybe it's less messy, probably, but dad delights and teaching and guiding and sharing in the work with his kids. And so when we evangelize and when we pray, we have the privilege of participating with God in his 
purposes and work in the world. We get to to join with our Father in His work. And that's deeply satisfying, okay? Um, and, you know, the doctrine of election is really just the concept of saved by grace viewed from God's perspective. Every Christian I have ever met loves the notion of grace because it is so radical, because it is so different from what you'll find anywhere else in the world. I am saved not because of anything I've done or because of any quality within me, but I am saved by Jesus' work done entirely on my behalf. That's grace, right? But that's election too. Just viewed from God's perspective. I sometimes like to think of it this way. The Bible talks about becoming a Christian as entering the kingdom of God, right? When you become a believer, you enter the kingdom of God. So imagine you're standing before the gates of a great city, and it's the the gates to the kingdom of God, the, the city of God, okay? And above the gates is a sign, and on that sign it says, the city of those saved by grace. And you think, great, I want to be there too. So you walk through the gates, you enter the city, and you are now in the city of God, in the kingdom of God. You're in. And as you walk further into the city, you you kind of look back over your shoulder at the city gates, and you see a sign above the city gates. And you know what it says? It says, the city of God's elect. Same gate, different sign. Here's the point. Only from the inside of the city can you even think about the doctrine of election. Only from inside the Christian faith can you even think about this teaching. That's why John Calvin, when he wrote his big theology book, you know, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, when he considered uh, election, and when he wrote about election, he did it under the doctrine of the church. because. This doctrine is actually meant to comfort believers, to encourage believers, to build up believers. That's why it's there. And we should remember that as we think about it. Rather than rage against God's choosing uh, his those who will be saved uh, because we see someone we love who, as far as we can tell at least, has not been enabled to believe the gospel, what we should do is we should stand in awe of the fact that we do, and we should do everything we can to call those who don't believe it to faith in Jesus Christ, and then trust God's work because of his character. He's already proven his character to us by sacrificing his son on the cross for our sin in order to make us his children. There's the objections to the doctrines of, of election. And by the way, if you have any other objections and you you didn't hear responses to them in this podcast, feel free to text me or email me uh, those questions, and I'd be happy to engage with them with you in another setting. But for now, that's it for today's episode of the Clear Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much again for joining me. I look forward to next time. And until that time, everybody... Take care.